Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the Christ through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the reading of God's word. You guys can take a seat. Well, good morning again, everybody. Uh, My name is Sean. If I don't know you, I'm the lead pastor, teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Um, Redemption Peoria is uh, elder-led, lead pastor-led. This is where we are. We're ten different congregations. It's right throughout the state of Arizona. Might have some questions. Love to help you navigate um, any of that. We're going to jump right into our uh, text, but um, there's a lot of explaining that needs to go on for us to get there. Um, The reality is, uh, I'm going to probably talk with us for about 20 or 25 minutes before we actually read um, Ephesians 2, and that's because there's a lot of things that uh, we need to go over. Um, And so, so, yeah, I I can catch us up. Uh, I want to pray first. And then uh, we'll start this conversation. We'll do the best we can to, to navigate it and, and go from there. But let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thanks for your goodness and your grace towards us. Um, we're specifically mindful and grateful for Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. Um, as a church, we're um, excited to know what you have to say. And I pray that we would have the wisdom to hear it and uh, respond well. Give us hearts to believe, eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, so here's, I'm going to be a little bit different this morning. <clears throat> um, there's two things. One, um, I'm going to stay pretty close to my notes. Um, and that is because um, I, I want to make sure that I'm very precise in, in what we're uh, going to be talking about. Um, and, and what we are talking about, what the text is about this morning is racial reconciliation. Um, if you have been with us, uh, through the course of Ephesians, the way that Ephesians, uh, uh, two verse 10 ended is the fact that we are his workmanship to create, we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Well, the, the, the rest of Ephesians is going to lay out what those good works are in the next three weeks has to do with racial reconciliation. So I'm going to do something a little bit different in approaching this, okay? And the reason it's going to take so long to get there is I'm actually going to start with application. Meaning, normally whenever I get up here, I'll talk us through the text and I'll do two things. Uh, One or the other. I will either walk us through application as we hit the text, or we'll go through the text and I'll say, okay, this is application. This is what we can see in our context of how it plays out. And this can be dangerous because it could almost force um, you to see the text the way that I would want you to. And so I want to be very mindful of that. If you think in any way I'm being unfaithful to the text, um, you know, and that same invitation was the first service. Please tell me. I would love to hear that um, and, and know where I am wrong. But the reality is, and a big reason that I'm doing it is because, and this isn't a shot, for some of you, this is the only time you'll open your Bible this week. And that's not a shot. I'm not trying to be mean at all. But the reality is, 
Some of you rely on me or whoever's up here teaching to do the meditating for you and the hard work for you. And I appreciate and love the fact that we get to do this. And, and uh, you've asked me to be able to do this every week. I love my job. But the reality is I don't know if many um, or at least some of you will walk out of here and do the hard work of meditation on the text to see how it applies contextually to us. Okay? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk us through four things very quickly um, of what we need to know going into this conversation um, for the next three weeks. Today, next week, and the week after. Four things. And then I'm going to give us a couple application points before we read the text and then a few as we go through it. So it's a little flipped on its head. Now here's why I'm doing this the way that I'm doing this. Um, I do not believe that I would be faithful to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. I do not believe I would be faithful as the core of what it's talking about, being racial and cultural, segregation, separation, being reconciled in Jesus Christ. I do not think that if I think our context, what we see in Ephesians, how does it play out in our context, I would be faithful to the text if I did not talk about people of color and white people. I do not think I would be faithful. In the same way, when we talk about money, in our context, the Bible's going to bring up money, right? If I did not talk about consumerism, when the Bible talked about money, I don't think I would be faithful to the text because our context shows us that we are at our cores, these consumers that want and want and want and want, and it's a problem. So if we're going to talk about money, we've got to talk about that. And in the same way, I don't think I would be faithful to this text if I did not talk about people of color and whites. And hear me, this is important, because if I was in Romania and I was asked to teach this exact text, I would not talk about people in color and whites. Because in that context, I would probably talk about the majority Romanian culture and gypsies. If I was in the Philippines, I would talk about those who are de- described as Western Filipinos and every, all the other Filipinos. If I was in Rwanda in the last 20, 25 years, I would have to talk about the Tutsi and the Hutu tribes. But in our context, I don't think I would be faithful if we did not talk about whites and people of color as we went through this text. And he, check this out. Listen. You can think you were born yesterday or, or, or like the world started when you were born. But man, Jim Crow was a little over 50 years ago. This is what's crazy. If you're under 60 years old, maybe under 50 years old, you don't remember at all. But there are some of you in this room who are 60 plus years old who have vivid memories of going to all white bathrooms. That's not like your grandparents, grandparents, grandparents. They're in the room right now. And if that has not affected our culture... You don't believe that's still there. I want us to understand and lay out, I don't think I'd be faithful to the text if I didn't acknowledge that. That's a reality of where we're at. And so I'm going to start with application. Now before I do that, there are four things I need you to know. And this is just for me to express to you um, foundational things that are important for us to have this conversation. Okay, so here's the first thing that um, I really hope that you can hear me say in the last two years of this conversation, it being a mess. Um, Please don't hear what I don't say. Don't allow the buzzwords and the political um, heat that comes off of this topic to to dictate what you're hearing. I want to do this together, y'all. I want to do this together. 
and, and maybe we're missing the mark some places or wherever it is, but if I say something and you vehemently disagree with it, then talk with me. Don't deuces out and we're done with the conversation. Let's talk about it. But in the middle of it, don't hear what I'm not saying. So if I make a statement, let's just get into it. Let's do it right now. Ready? If I make a statement, it's sad that there are so many dead black bodies in the street. It's sad. Don't hear what I didn't say. Nowhere in that statement did I say blue lives doesn't matter. Nowhere in that statement did I say I hate cops. Nowhere in that statement did I say I support the Black Lives Organization. Nowhere in that statement did I say it's not sad that all white bodies are dead in the streets. I just made a statement that it is sad that there are so many black bodies dead in the street. Can I just ask, should that not be the Christian response? Is it not sad? Is our first response as Christians not to mourn that a mom is waking up without a son? A wife without a husband? Kids without a father? Should our response not be to lament? Are we really called as believers in Jesus Christ who are to be full of compassion for our first response to be, well, if they would have followed orders, they wouldn't be dead. Is that really what we're called to be? That reflects Jesus? Don't hear what I didn't say. I didn't say any. Listen, this is important for you to know, and I'm not trying to like just drop names, but listen, I love Stephen Gertrude, who's a cop. I, I love Al Ma- Macklin, who's a retired cop. I was adopted by a family, and every Christmas and birthdays, Jim Meshnark, who is my brother, I see him, I love him. I was raised to hate cops. I have a vivid memory sitting there, nine years old, um, watching my mom's boyfriend literally kicking the TV. And if you know, it wasn't flat screens back then, right? So those to- old glass TVs, you could, dude was on meth. So you know how strong he was. Kicking in the TV because we were watching cops. And the dogs were on the man too long. Get him off of him. Get him off of him. I was raised to be afraid when cops came to the door. I was, I, I, I was raised to make fun of them. I was raised to hate them. That, that's, that was my upbringing. Being poor, homeless, drug addict parents. That was my upbringing. Hear me. It is not how I raise my kids, and it is not what I believe now. I am grateful when I drive by a cop. I I, I am. Like, I know we all do the, like, slow down real quick, just in case. You're already going five under, but you better go ten under just in case. But the reality is I am grateful for police officers. Never once in this statement it is sad that there are black dead bodies in the streets. Did I make the statement, I, I hate blue lives matters? Nor did I say... I support the BLM organization. Check this out. What's crazy about my relationship with the Black Lives Matter uh, movement is um, when I got saved, I spent a majority of my teenage years with Opal Tometi, who started Black Lives Matter. Um, And I was with her on the phone with her brother last week. So I know her well. um, And the reality is I have issues with the organization. I do. So even if you think you're, you're like putting statements on me, I have a lot of issues with the organization. But check this out. This is what's important. This is, this, and let's kind of, let's navigate this conversation. Um, it's important what, when you hear that statement to, to understand the undergirding of going, hey, listen, do, like, like you'll go, well, all lives matter. And hear, hear me. Anybody in the black community, if they're in the right senses, they're going to go, yes and amen. Of course all lives matter. Nobody's saying all lives don't matter. But we just feel like because all lives matter, Right now, we feel like our lives don't matter. And you're going, well, that's, that's ridiculous. This, this, this. That's not a response. So, so let's say your wife comes to you. Let's say Candace comes to me. We're a family of six. 
She goes, Sean, I feel like you really spend time and love our kids, all four of our kids. I feel like you appreciate them, but I feel like you don't care about me. I feel like my life doesn't matter to you. You know what would be a foolish statement to my wife? Candace, everyone in the family, all of our lives matter. Yeah, I know, but I feel like my life doesn't matter. Well, that's stupid. All the Myers family, all of us matter. That, that w- can we agree that would be a, a dumb approach? Can we just agree with that? And so, 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 so when we, we hear the statements, is not a biblical response to go, whether I agree or not, help me understand why you feel like black lives don't matter. Is it not more of a biblical response to try to be there? Forget just the black community in general. Just your brothers and sisters in Christ, your people of color. Are you not called to suffer with them? No one when they're suffering and you walk alongside with them go, it's not a big deal, dude. No, you, you come alongside whether you feel like their pain is merit worth or not. So don't hear what I didn't say. Number two, and this is uh, about a statement. This is a two-part statement, so it's two and three. Um, these are, this is something that it's really important. It's the statement, don't talk about politics, just preach the gospel. Now, I want to be careful here because here's the reality. I think in the room, we've allowed politics to dictate this conversation far more than we've allowed the Bible. So ain't nobody getting up in arms when I talk about homosexuality. Homosexuality is a sin. Yes and amen. Nobody gets upset about that. But when we talk about justice or race issues, which this text is going to talk about, suddenly it's like, well, wait a minute. Don't talk about politics. And this is important, right? Because the law and politics have absolutely made racism illegal. But law and politics can't change the heart. It can't do anything to the heart. And so we, we tend to view the gospel as this vertical. It, it's, we know Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It's, it's vertical. You have been reconciled to God. Yes and amen. But that's a small gospel. That's the back half of that. So when, when we, we make a statement, we make a statement, don't talk about politics. I want to read this from James K. Smith, who I think nails this on, on, on the head. Listen to what he says. Christians have been deformed and assimilated to the defaults of polarized partisan politics. Precisely, it's a lot of P's. Precisely because they miss the liturgical nature of these institutions and practices. Politics in that sense isn't just something that you do, it does something to you. But because Christians marched out to transform culture equipped with their Christian worldview, they didn't notice how much the culture of politics was transforming them. So when you make the statement, let's not talk about politics, fine. Let's just talk about what the Bible says. And today, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18, is about two different cultures, two different races, who need to come together because there is hostility between them. So let's just ask, where is there hostility between culture and races in our context? Is it not people of color and whites? It's not politics, it's just the Bible. The second part of this is don't don't talk about politics, just preach the gospel. Man, listen, I love the work of Billy Graham, the late Billy Graham. But his whole entire life, he preached a small gospel, a a reconciliation between you and God. And it completely missed the fact that as Jesus comes on the scene, he preaches a gospel of the kingdom. The fact that his kingdom would reign in all of our lives, in every single area. And so the gospel is not just vertical between us and God, it's horizontal. It's, it's, it's loving God with everything that we are and loving each other. So um, let me give you an example of this. Uh, 
Peter is in the church in Galatia, and he's kicking it with the Gentiles. A Gentile is anybody who is not Jewish. And as he's kicking it with the Gentiles, he hears that some Jews are coming. And so what he does is he segregates the Gentiles to this table over here, and he begins to eat with only the Jews, him and his whole crew. Now, Paul notices this. He sees this separation. Listen to how Paul describes the, the dissension that Peter is bringing up in the room. Listen to this. This is so good. Galatians chapter uh, uh, 2, verse 14. When I saw that they, Peter and his group, were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, who's Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? You hear what he said in the front part there? That your actions are not in line with the gospel. That this is a gospel issue. Peter, you're being racist. That's a gospel issue. That's a gospel problem. So to just say, just preach the gospel, that's all I want to do. That's all I've devoted my life to, is preaching the gospel. And justice is a gospel issue. The fourth thing that I need you to understand, and this is not mean, meant to be mean or crude or even calloused. Um, this last week, um, the Gospel Coalition put on a conference uh, called MLK 50. It was the 50th anniversary of when Martin Luther King Jr. was shot. And they had different guys who talked, Russell Moore, Eric Mason, Matt Chandler. And in Matt Chandler's sermon, the way he started, this is the, the statement that he made as he got up there to give his sermon. He said, I'm not here and I'm not going to talk to fools on this topic. His statement is not to be mean either. His, his statement is, is pretty simple. Um, there are some in the room, some of you in the room, who are so enamored with Ben Shapiro and Sean Hannity, you don't care what I have to say. And if I could be straight, I, you, you might, you, you, I think you'll justify me taking the text in the wrong direction because you, you honestly, you don't care. And I'm not trying to be mean, this isn't meant to be rude, but I'm, I'm not talking to you. I want to have a conversation as a church, not just me talking to you now, but many, many conversations after this for people who are willing to process what's going on. Let me give you an example of this. In James chapter 3, James describes what wisdom really is. Listen to this. James three seventeen, Wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. You want to know what your job on this conversation is as Christians? My job as Christians is as we approach the topic, we are to be, again, and I quote, first pure, then peaceable. We're to be gentle. We're to be open to reason. Oh, that's so good. Open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. If you have something you already believe and you don't care about what I'm trying to put in front of you, listen, I love you and I hope one day we can have the conversation, but I'm not talking to you. So I, uh, myself and the elders and some of the staff got to spend a day with uh, Brian Loritz. Brian Loritz is the son of Crawford Loritz. Um, uh, Brian Loritz is a black man who wrote a book called Right Color, Wrong Culture. Really good book. It's this fable. Um, and he showed us this pyramid, this pyramid of, of communication. And this is obviously before Brian. John Demeter says he knows the guy who created it. He thinks he's real cool. But I, I learned it from Brian. 
Um, and this is how we as human beings interact in general, predominantly in Western culture, but just in general. And everything starts from the top going down to the bottom, and it starts with the cliche, okay? So at the very beginning of any conversation, you're at the water cooler, and you go, hey, did you see the Suns game last night? Yeah, saw it. Did you saw, saw, yeah, we won. Cool, awesome. It's just normal, simple, cliche conversation, weather, whatever it is. Well, from cliche conversation, you eventually can go down into facts, right? And so what you see is, hey, you see the Suns game last night? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. We scored 40 in the fourth quarter. Um, I mean, if we would have just played defense, we had 10 different turnovers at that point. I I think it would have been a blowout. But no, you're starting to talk and dissect facts. You're beginning to get into the conversation. Now, from there, what you get from facts is from cliche conversation into facts is you eventually get into your opinion on it. So, yeah, it's really, you know, it's crazy because... We scored the 40 in the fourth quarter, but I bet if he would have subbed so-and-so in and would have put so-and-so here, I bet we would have been able to lock them down, score the 40, and only hold them to 10. And you're starting to lay down these facts and then begin to put your opinion on those facts. And then from there, if you can go a little bit deeper, if the conversation goes, it's a long water break, but as the conversation goes, you're beginning to get in, you eventually get into emotion, emotive. So now you're going, yeah, and it's just frustrating. Like, I think Hornacek messed us up with the coaching deal. I feel like, man, going back, we, we haven't been to the final since 93. The Spurs, like, they, they really just, like, just killed us in 2008. All messed up. And there's emotion involved in all of this, right? Now, very rarely, at the very bottom of the pyramid, do, will you ever get with anyone. As a matter of fact, um, you'll probably only get to the bottom of the pyramid with maybe four or five people in your life, which is transparency. It gets at who you are. It gets at the fact that you're talking about all these sons things, opinions, facts, and you're going, yeah, the reality is, man, like, the Suns haven't been to the final since 1993, and I remember watching that game with my dad, and I just feel like if, if they would get back to the finals, like, I feel like a part of me would get to relive my childhood. And the guy at the water cooler is like, I just asked if you saw the Suns game. Okay? Now, here's why this is important. This is usually how it trickles down. This is usually how our communication trickles down. The problem is, when we begin to have a conversation with, about whites and people of color or majority culture and minority culture, what we'll see is that majority culture will immediately deal with facts. They'll immediately go to, this is what happened. If he would have only, well, a cell phone could look like a gun, or this could have happened if he would have got out of the car. We're dealing with simple facts, or maybe it's, we don't know the facts yet. We don't, let's wait to see all the facts. All the while, what minority culture and people of color are doing is going, facts? Somebody's dead. Somebody died. What do you mean, facts? Regardless, somebody has died. And there's our disconnect. From facts and emotive, there's, there, there's, there's dissonance. There's missing. And, and listen, this is true across the board. It's not just in race, it's in socioeconomic conversations, it's in gender conversations. I mean, this is husbands are dealing with facts, wives are dealing with emotions. Um, Not always true, but in my house, usually. Um, And the reality is, this is just true of communication. But what we see in predominant majority culture, dealing, wanting to deal with facts, hearing, like uh, Ben Shapiro has this statement, uh, facts don't care how you feel. Cool. Well, Christians do. That's great. That's great. Facts don't care how you feel. Jesus cares how you feel. And so I care how you feel. So at the end of the day, I need you to understand I'm not trying to 
convince or coerce anybody into trying to see something. If they don't want to change, if you don't want to change, it is what it is. But just understand, that's what's going on in this conversation. So I hope those four things can help guide us. Again, don't hear what I didn't say. Number two, don't talk about politics. Number three, just preach the gospel. Number four, I want you to know I'm talking to those who want to have the conversation. Now, let's get into the application of the text, okay? So before I read it, I want to give you two points that are really important that I think we can draw out. So if I was preaching it the other way, I would preach second, or I would preach Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18, and then I would give you these points at the end. But I'm going to give you them on the front end. Here's the first one that I want you to see as we read this. I think this is an application point in the mess that's been going on in the last two years, that, and the fact that the gospel should unify us. Um, the first one is this. Our identity as believers, more than anything else, this is important, is to be in Christ. So it's not our whiteness, our blackness, our Latinoness. It's not our Democratness, our Republicanness. It is at our core to be in Christ. Now here's where this is so trippy. In Christ is not homogenous, everyone looks the same. So Jesus, and you'll see it as we read the text, is not asking you to lay down your Latinoness at the door. But, but rather, fine, you're a Democrat, you're, you're a, a white Democrat who grew up poor. Cool. There's nowhere to go, stop being white, stop being Democrat, and, and forget that you were poor. No, no, no. Bring that to the table. That's who you are. So Sean Myers grew up poor, parents drug addicts, uh, charismatic background in the church. I was told I'm loud, whatever, however I'm described, okay? That is who Sean is, maybe an aggressive personality. In no way is Jesus asking me to lay that down. What Jesus is saying, what the Holy Spirit is doing is saying, what does that look like in Christ? So it's not sameness, it's oneness. It's unity in diversity. Now this is, this is important because um, I have a, a friend who's Italian and he always, um, let's just get some, some cliches here, we're talking about race and my walk the line of being racist here, but he's Italian, right? And so he, um, he's like, I'm just Italian. I'm a louder guy at the dinner table. We get together and we just interrupt each other. We're just loud. Awesome. Awesome. Here's the reality. Your loudness as an Italian is a part of who you are, but you first are in Christ. So that loud Italian is meant to succumb, be under Jesus Christ. So here's the question. What does a loud Italian look like as a Christian? What, what is it? Maybe there are moments where, where you go, you know what? That is my nature to just interrupt, but I feel like I should hear them out. Now, this is across the board true of every race, every socioeconomic class, both genders. It's all there. It's all there. So there's the first one. Here's the second one, uh, application point. Um, the Bible over and over continues to press, in, press into a communal mentality, meaning, um, and this is something, I, this is the best way I can coin this, this idea of what's, what I find all the time in our culture is, um, you cannot have the escape of individual safe havens. Meaning, um, what post-modernity has brought us is the ability to disconnect ourselves from culture. So you can make a statement, I'm not racist. I've got black friends, Hispanic friends. I, I work with, 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 with an Asian. I, I, I work with someone from India. I'm not racist. I'm not racist at all. Okay, let's just stop right there. Let's assume 
everyone in the room, no one here is racist. Cool. Now let me ask you a question. Are there people in our culture who are racist? I hope your answer would be yes, if you're listening at all. Yes, there are. Now those racist people are in our culture, they're out there. They're doctors, they're nurses, they're teachers, they're politicians. They exist. Now if those racist people exist, and you non-racist people exist, and you collide together, you create what is called our culture. And so here's the next question. Is there racism in our culture? Yes. You want to know how I know this? Public pools. I know um, some of you all got pools in your backyards. I grew up where you go to a public pool. And here's what I know to be true. Ain't nobody going into a public pool and not cognitive of the fact that there is pee up in that pool. Now, you may get in the pool and you may go, I didn't pee in the pool. Fine. But there's definitely urine in the pool. Somebody has peed in the pool. There's like 150 people in here. You're saying ain't nobody peeing in the pool. And you may hope that chlorine totally like takes care of the urine. But here's the reality. Though the pool is mostly water, it's got pee in it. It's got pee in it. And we're all swimming in it. And so you can say, hey, I didn't pee in the pool. But here's the truth. If you are white, chances are, it's not, it's, but chances are high, that either your great, 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 great grandparents either owned a slave or thought it was okay to own a slave. And if you think, hey, I didn't pee in the pool, fine. And that sounds silly, but your great, 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 great grandparents did. That you, you just weren't born on an island. The culture that is made up of the air that we breathe and the context that we are in, it comes from a racist history. You've got to know that tr- to be true. Now, so, so when you get in the pool, you go, well, I'm not peeing in the pool. Fine, but you cannot escape to individual safe havens. You are part of a culture, and this culture has pee in it. <laughs> so let me, let me say it like this. James K.A. Smith, again, listen to this. I love this. You can pride yourself on your diverse group of friends, but if you're talking about justice and systemic racism, you're not off the hook quite so quickly. But any approach to this that uh, skates over systems of complexity is bound to be a kind of cheap grace. We don't realize the extent to which the entirety of society has effectively been made to echo the plantation. Now, you may not like that. You may feel like that language is strong. But here's what I know. I hope generational passing on is true. You want to know why? Because I'm a first-generation Christian in my family. And I pray that, that what I am teaching Corbin, he will teach his kids, who will teach their kids, who will teach their kids, who will teach their kids. My prayer is five generations from now, and I pray it constantly, we would be known as believers in Jesus Christ because of what I am teaching my kids. Inevitably, five generations away, they will be affected by what I believe. They don't have a choice in the matter. They will hear it, either great-great-grandpa was a Christian, or somewhere like this, and they'll know. Or they'll respond in apathy towards it. But there will be results of where they are because of who I am. We don't have an option in that. Now, to the text. Um, If those are the two application points, that first 
our identity is in Christ, and we have unity and diversity. And number two, um, we can't escape to individual safe havens, but we are a community. There's a recognition I think we can read this text with really clear eyes. So let's do it. Let me make sure I see where I am on time. Um, okay, sweet. I didn't start the clock, so I have no idea how long I've been going. Um, so let's go. Josh loves this. Verse 11. Verse 11, Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hand. That therefore is important. It's going back in response to you were dead, Jesus made you alive, and now he calls you to live. Remember that? That's what we talked about last week. In response to that, that horizontal gospel, here is a vertical gospel. Therefore, respond appropriately. And the response is first addressing to who he's talking to. He's talking to now Gentiles. So here's what we got. If you're not familiar with this, um, there are Jews who are the Jews. Everyone else is a Gentile. The Jews are marked according to what God tells Abraham that the foreskin of the males would be removed. Sounds weird. I know. I get it. There's a lot to it, which I'm not going to explain. So these people, the Jews, have a mark about them. And so everywhere they go, just pretend maybe it's like a, a, they shave the front part of their hair off, okay? So this is the mark. This is what I want you to do. So everywhere they go, generationally, they know they're the people of God. They've got the, 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 the prophets. They've got the writings of the prophets. They, they've got the history. They've got God's protection. Over and over and over again, what you find is God is moving specifically with the people who have the front part of their hair shaved off. And so what happens is Jesus comes along and he calls all people, Jew and Gentile, to come together. But the Gentiles are called uncircumcised. The NLT says uncircumcised heathens. The Jews are going, you're not the people of God. We're the people of God. We've been circumcised. We have the mark. And so he's now talking to the Gentiles, the people who were on the outside. Verse 12, remember that, uh, that you were at one time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, I love this because there's, a, a, I think, a double entendre here. When you see that they were alienated, before, look back at the beginning of the chapter, we were, what Paul's declaring is, you were not just alienated from God, you were alienated from the people of God. So you're coming on the scene, and you are completely alienated. Remember that. He makes the declaration, two things alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, all the promises that go along with it, and you were strangers to the covenants of promise. You weren't even aware of what all the prophets said. Now, what this does for the Jew is it creates a superiority, that they are so much better than the Gentiles, that the common language for the Jew is to refer to them as dogs. And I don't mean just kind of like, yeah, no, always, you're dogs, uh, William Barclay, I think, makes a great statement uh, on describing the dissonance, the hostility that existed between the Jew and Gentile as they're coming together in the church. Listen to what he says. The Jew had, a, had an immense uh, contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles said, the Gentiles, said the Jews, were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. That's some hatred. God, they said, loves only Israel of all the nations that he had made. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need, talking about pregnancy and giving birth, in an hour of sorest need, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy, this is crazy, listen to this. 
If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, or a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was also carried out. Such contact with the Gentile was the equivalent of death. And yet the next statement in verse 13 is, but now in Christ Jesus, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ Jesus. So there is such contempt and such hatred from the Jews to the Gentiles. And now Paul puts in front of us, and I'm bringing these groups together. We've got to stop there. Because it, it seems to be clear there's two obvious polaways uh, that, that we see in this, and, and, and it has to be acknowledged, and this is part of the application process. The first one is this. If I'm a Jew, 35, 40 years old, at this time, I already know the story of God. Matter of fact, I might have access to parchment paper. I might have access uh, to some of what the prophet said. I know the stories because I grew up in the stories. I was taught under the law. I know it. And now I come to Jesus Christ and I'm in the church. I know all the stories and the history, even the fact that Jesus was a Jew. And now let's look at the other side. Here's a Gentile who knows nothing of those stories. And the Gentile comes into the church and he's hearing for the first time, all this good news, he knows he loves Jesus, but he doesn't know a lot of this background. In that moment, what you have to know is, whether you like it or not, the Jews have Jewish privilege. They have all the abilities and understanding prior to them coming to Jesus. They have a privilege that the Gentiles don't have. So that's the first observation. The second observation is, what the New Testament talks about arguing when it's talking about the people of God arguing with one another in the New Testament, 95% of the arguing in the New Testament between believers is the, the Jews telling the Gentiles, you need to act like us. It's telling the minority culture, you need now to act like us. This is even in Galatians. You need to be circumcised. Yes, Jesus, but also follow the law. There are things that are kosher, not kosher. And so, There's a pressure constantly on the Gentiles to succumb to the way of Jewish life. Now, maybe you've already connected the dots, but if you haven't, I need to connect them for you. Because there's no way we can read and understand the Ephesians context and not see some of these ways they play out in our own. To to not recognize that it wasn't only until the late 60s that blacks were allowed into seminary is blind. To, to, to go, man, black theology it, it seems to be, like the theologians seem to be pretty ignorant, or, and even maybe even liberal. Well, that's because uh, they weren't even allowed into conservative semer- seminaries until the late 60s. Matter of fact, we were sitting in a room where um, uh, one of the men was ta- telling a story of how his father asked if he can go uh, to seminary in the, the late 50s, and he was denied the fact, but he was told he can stand outside and look through the window, but he won't get credit for it. And so he said there were many days where it was raining and he was just trying to learn systematic theology while he was being rained on. See, see, I know you don't like the language. When I hear, just give me grace in explaining this. I know you don't like the language of white privilege. Fine. But here's what you have to know. Privilege in general, it does exist. It does. I, and you don't need to feel guilty about it. Here's the reality. We have some friends who... Uh, had a child the same almost week that Corbin was born. They couldn't take care of the child. And so 
the grandparents are now taking care of, of this child who's Corbin's age. Now, the, the grandparents who are taking care of the child, they're multimillionaires, I think close to billionaires. I mean, just filthy rich. Now, here's what I know. Corbin and that child will not have the same opportunities. He will have more privileges than Corbin has. If Corbin comes to me and says, Dad, I, I want to go to Harvard, I go, that's cool. <laughs> you better become really good at basketball or start saving 10 years before you were born because we can't afford to send you to Harvard. But, 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 but hear me, he could easily go to Harvard. I mean, if he was accepted, the tuition would not be the problem. Matter of fact, Corbin has a lot smaller um, window of failure. If Corbin decides to go off the rails a couple years after he leaves the nest, I think we have the resources um, and the energy to be able to walk alongside him and get him through that. But eventually our resources will be depleted if he continues to choose a path of destruction. But man, for this kid, the resources are unlimited. Now that's a socioeconomic example, but it's true. There, there, there's privilege across the board, not just with money, but with gender and yes, with race. Yes. I, I, so, so the reality is I, I know it's hard for you to hear white privilege, but remember, pee's in the pool. It's there, it exists. And so you do... Your kids do, and your kids' kids do, have different opportunities racially, maybe socially, maybe economically, uh, maybe boy or girl and gender, however it is, there are different privileges. And what the black community continues to go and say is, we feel like there's a privilege racially that is on the table that whites don't want to admit, that they they don't want to acknowledge. And in our text, it is clear that privilege is on the table, that Jews have a privilege that the Gentiles didn't have. They already knew the story. They had access to education before the Gentiles. They had privilege. Furthermore, the second part of this is the fact that the minority, the smaller culture, the Gentiles, are always feeling pressured to succumb to majority culture. I think we have to connect the dots there, you guys. Because here's, here's what I know. Um, when I'm in the room with with uh, some of my black friends, let's just say not even like just American black, let's just say Nigerian friends. Candace and I have a ton of Nigerian friends. So we're in a room and we're the only white people or, or maybe a few of the, the white people, there's 100 people in there. And there's like five white people. Here's what I know. My boy Uche acts totally different when he is around people, not just racially, just people who are of his culture. He's pretty a calm dude, but he gets going, he starts dancing, he's all about it, okay? And, and, and Uche, you, you see in that moment, I mean, one of my best friend, like I see a part of him that I don't see when he interacts in predominant majority culture. That's just a reality. That's just true. And so, so I've seen guys who are a part of a small, a, a minority culture um, who feel like they want to make jokes, but I think the majority culture wouldn't get it if they reference Martin or Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or the Cosby show, whatever it is, because I, I think there's an element of even expressing how they feel, there's not room. And so here's the truth. Today, blacks are meeting together, Hispanics are meeting together, whites are meeting together, and the buzzword is, how do we become eclectic or, or not just a homogenized, racially, a racially diverse church? That's what's going on in the church world right now. How do we become racially diverse? All the while, white people are getting together with a few black, Hispanic, Asians. Black people are getting together with a few white, Hispanic, and Asians. Hispanic people are getting together with a few white, Asians, and blacks. It's just coming together, but for the most part, we're separated. Because we like a certain type of teacher. We like a certain type of show. A certain type of music. When you go to an all-black church, you're going to hear, hear Israel Houghton. They're not playing King's Kaleidoscope there. They're not. 
And so, so we have these differences that the Gentiles have, and they feel like they have to lay them down again and again. Well, that's part of my again, but that's kind of who I, again, lay it down, lay it down. If you want to assimilate into majority culture, like what I like, be who I am. Now hear me, none of this, of what I've said, is meant to make you feel guilty. It just is what it is. We don't even know. Like majority culture, if you're white in here, it's the air you breathe. But you can even ask Romanians who are white. There's a cultural difference. There's a cultural difference. And so just know, as you see this, this is what's happening. And all the while, Jesus has brought them together to be one new man. Be who you are, but let's be it together. So good. Okay, let's keep going. I'm sure I'm out of time, but again, I have no idea when I started. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So here's the hostility and here's what Jesus does. I'm removing that hostility. It doesn't, Jew and Gentile are not meant to be separate from one another, but new in Christ. Now, it's not just a spiritual or emotional, um, cultural dividing wall, but they would all, both Jew and Gentile, would be very aware of the double entendre that's going on, that quite literally, in the temple, there was a literal wall that would divide Jew and Gentile. So they're aware of this, and Jesus has brought this down. Now listen to what he said. I love this. Listen to this. It tells us how he did it, how Jesus brings this down. Verse 15. So, bringing down the wall, dividing wall of hostility, By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So he doesn't say he's getting rid of the law, just the laws that separate, the have-tos. You've got to be circumcised. You can only eat this. Jesus has removed those laws. Now, the reason this is important is he's removed the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might, this word is it, this is it right here. You ready? He might create Now, we ran into this word last week. This word create, as in verse 10, is also true here in this verse, is not create something out of something, but create something out of nothing. What Paul is saying is the miracle that takes place in Genesis 1 and 2, that God created something out of nothing, it was a miracle, is the same miracle that he created when he woke you up spiritually. When he regenerated your heart, you could not have done it. It was not your own work. He did something out of nothing. Is the same miracle to bring Jew, Gentile, slave, free, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, every other single socioeconomic, rich, poor. This is going to take a miracle. He creates one new man. He creates in unity this diverse body. Nobody's reading the book of Revelation and going, and the one tongue and the one tribe sang to him. There are many tribes, there are many tongues, and it's there, and it's beautiful. So as we see this, he, he creates in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Sky Jahani says this, almost done, about two minutes. Like the early church, we are tempted to gather ourselves around something else besides the cross. We want to share teacher, a shared political stance, a, a shared bias. 
maybe just a shared set of songs, a, a shared type of church, a shared affiliation of any kind. Having things in common like that with people is just fine until we build our identity around it. Then it becomes idolatry, and the work of Christ is not enough. So be that. And be that. But let me tell you what the answer is not. Okay, cool. We, we have in Peoria, specifically South Peoria, 40% Hispanic. The answer is not to have a mariachi band Sunday. No, that's not. We gave you your moments. No, no, no. It would be us coming together to know, to hear, to listen. And for Redemption Peoria, slowly, every single day, more and more to look eclectic. That we are who we are and we have drastically different political views. But at the end of the day, we're coming together. And we're surrounding ourselves because Jesus made peace. We're surrounding ourselves around Jesus. Finally, I say this in closing, verse 16, 17, and 18, I read together. And as we read this, I think it's clear that the text ends with Paul giving practical implications as to how. Meaning, um, when we read this text, we look at Jesus and what he did in vertically restoring us, right? And then horizontally providing this kingdom. Now, if Christ is our example, Christus exemplar, we are to follow Jesus in that. And I think there are three things that we tangibly can do. So look at this, verse 16. Talking about Jesus, might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So here's the first thing. Um, This is practically for us walking out the door. There's hostility. And if you don't want to acknowledge that, you're blind. You're not reading the news. If you miss the fact that there is hostility and you say, well, I don't see it. No, listen. A part of one of the things I've almost got rid of Facebook like 12 times because I've seen within our own church and it's like hurt my soul. Like just sheer hostility towards someone else. And just think like this... I'm in community with them. Like, this is crazy. There's hostility. And you want to know how Jesus handles hostility? He absorbs it. The spitting, the crown of thorns, the whipping, the cross, the mocking. Though he could fight back, he absorbs it. And so you go into this conversation and you don't understand why they're so frustrated, why, why undocumented people are in such fear, why Latino culture is frustrated with Trump, why blacks are just, why don't they just follow rules when they get pulled over? You're so, you're so encapsulated with that whole idea. And all the while, I'm asking, forget what I'm asking. Jesus is saying, absorb it. Be in community with them and, and absorb it. Sit there and take it. And maybe you disagree, but you ain't getting to the facts. You're not walking with them until you learn how to absorb it. Take the hostility. Be there. Know they're frustrated. Experience their frustration. Suffer with them. Be like Christ. Remove the hostility by absorbing it. The second thing is, um, I think it's important that you know the answer to this is not to identify the like four black people in the room and try to be friends with them. Right? That's not the answer. So, so, so here's, here's what you can know. You're working with all different types of socioeconomic classes and races. You're working with them. You're at the store with them. Wherever you are, and as you're in community with them, here's what I want you to recognize. It's going to be easier 
to make friends with people like you. Have you tried making friends as an adult? It sucks. Like as a kid, it was real easy because you didn't know what you felt or believed. But now as an adult, you kind of have set beliefs and then they start talking. You're like, we ain't going to be friends. And here's the reality. As you run into somebody, just racially, there's a lot of other uh, uh, areas, just racially, as you begin to um, befriend someone who is of a different color or different race, as you begin to differ, you're going to notice there's a disparity in the way that you view things. But Christ goes to not just those who are near, but he goes to those who are far. He goes that extra mile. He presses in. And it's not easy. I don't think the Bible's calling us to tokenism. I think what it's calling us is to press in and do the hard work in community. And the last thing um, might be obvious, but it's definitely worth saying. Verse 18, for through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. I think Jesus not only relies on, but promises to give us in John 14 through 16, the spirit of God. There's no way we can address this issue. Forget the politicians. Politicians and laws are not answering this issue. This is a heart issue. This is allowing the Holy Spirit to show us where we are at fault. But we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. We together have access to the same Spirit. And you can pray that God would move in the hearts of your black or Hispanic or Latino or wherever that, your brothers and sisters in Christ in the same way that he would move on your heart. And together we will become one new man. With that said, um, here's what I want to say in closing. This is probably the hardest part of this whole sermon. It's a trip to me. Um, but to be faithful, I think we've got to acknowledge it. Um, this entire text in talking about unity has only been to the Gentile. When talking about unity, it's pressing in to the minority culture. So it's saying, I know it's not easy. I know you feel like you've been running sprints and and, and you're going, and you're going, nobody's hearing you. You're black in the room, Hispanic in the room. You feel like you're alone, you're running sprints. And now somebody, like on the team, they're falling behind you. So the coach says again, and again, and again. And you feel like you just keep running, because they're not getting it. And finally, that guy on your team goes, all right, fine, I'm going to get this one. Well, oh, so you're going to get it? Well, but we still got to run more. We still got to continue to press in. We still got to continue to run. But now you're with me. And you feel like you're tired, but the text is talking to you. You feel like you're looking at majority culture and you feel like you're on the outside. And this is the only time I can really press in with deep conviction. If you are Hispanic or black or Romanian or any other culture besides American Caucasian, the text is telling you, dare I say, commanding you to press in. It is not easy. No one said it's going to. But you have this defeatist mentality that this isn't your church or the church isn't your church and the church isn't talking about it but it's commanding you i know you feel that way press in press in listen redemption peoria is you it's you and you may look around and all the faces look the same but this is you this text has been telling you to press in and to know who you are in Jesus Christ and where you belong in his church. Take that with grace. Hear it. I love you. I'm excited for the next couple weeks to talk about this. Let's pray. Father, thanks. Thanks for your love. 
Thank you for the fact that there's a lot of people in this world who are trying to have conversations on race and trying to solve it. But I'm grateful that this whole time, even my own heart where I've missed it, you've been the answer. This whole time, you've been the answer. And I pray just over our congregation that we would be a people that rally around the cross of Christ and that we are willing to lay down our musical preferences, our teaching preferences, our cultural preferences, and not make those predominant, but make you predominant. And that we would find ourselves more and more being white, Hispanic, Latino, um, black, Romanian, Asian, Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, male, female. Wherever we are, we would be those things, but we would be those things in you. Let us be those things in you. Let us be who we are in unity with diversity. Help us. It's clear you put in front of us, you've made the Jew and the Gentile one new man. May that be true in our own context. Thank you. We love you. We praise you. We need you. Man, do we need you. In your name we pray. Amen.